We're drawing to a close today our Move series. We've kind of been responding to what we feel God has been speaking to us about. We believe God's alive, and if God's alive, He's going to speak to us. I mean, that'd be a bit weird if God wasn't alive, if He just made everything and said, see you at the end. No, He he still speaks to us today, primarily through His Word. We're going to be into it in a moment. Acts chapter 10, if you have a Bible with you, it's kind of in the New Testament. If not, don't worry, it'll come up on the screen. But we believe God speaks by His Spirit. We heard it today. There's like kind of something happens when the people of God get together, spirit-filled individuals, God comes and God speaks, whether through tongues and interpretations or prophetic words. And so we had a, a, a kind of sense of God speaking to us at the beginning of the year, and we wanted to respond with this move series, and we're kind of drawing it to a close today. And I'm going to be talking about race. Like nothing's off... Here, money, sex, we've talked about those things, power. Today's race. Let's, let's just pray. Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence with us. Father, I just want to pray right now that you would be glorified in our midst. Pray, Jesus, that your name would be made, would be magnified. And pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just help the words, your word, come alive in our hearts that my words would not do hindrance or harm to your word, that you would speak to us and you would change us and transform us. Thank you for what you achieved on the cross. Pray now we would live in the goodness of it and the fullness of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Look, we're in Acts chapter 10. We're going to be in verse 34 in a moment. We're dreaming here of a church where God is glorified and where the power of the gospel is magnified, where God's glorified in and through everything we do, and where the power of the gospel, the life-transforming power of the gospel is on display. Not just something we talk about, but something we can see, tangibly, visibly see. And we're in Acts chapter 10, and we're going to look at verse 34. Acts chapter 10 is like the longest narrative, longest story in the book of Acts. The bit that's just come before this bit we're going to look at is the conversion of Cornelius. He's a, he's a Gentile soldier from Caesarea, and it's a real, this is a really significant moment in the gospel's advance. It's a really decisive moment in the story. It's God showing that the gospel, this good news, is for all people, not just the Jews. Right at Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. It's not just going to stay here with a few people in Jerusalem. It's going to go to all nations, to every people group, the end of the world. And in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius gets converted. And then Peter, who's a Jew, it's really important to remember that. He's a Jew and like a really good one. He has this dream, and it's a bit weird. It's a great sheet that kind of comes down from heaven. It's, it's kind of where the birds of all the unclean things that Jews were not supposed to eat are wrapped up in this sheet. It's kind of birds of the air and pigs. It's like the whole origin where we get pigs in blankets from. It's that kind of whole... <laughs> I should really think before I open my mouth on a particular topic like this. Anyway, he has this dream, and in this moment, a voice comes from heaven and says, kill and eat. And Peter's like, no way, I'm a good Jew, I'm pure, I've never eaten anything unclean in my life, I ain't doing it. And God says, listen Peter, what I say is clean, don't you ever dare call unclean. And Peter's all confused, he's like, what, we've not been allowed to do this, what's this all about? And uh, he's trying to figure it all out, and then someone knocks at the door, and Peter opens the door, and there stands Cornelius and a bunch of Gentile soldiers saying, an angel told us to come and talk to you, and it's like this light bulb moment for Peter. Oh! Wow, verse 34, truly, I now understand that God shows no partiality, 
But in every nation, now whenever you see nation, biblically it means a people group. In every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Peter suddenly gets it. It's like this whole unclean animals thing has been a picture of the sinfulness of humans. They couldn't eat certain animals because it would kind of make them unclean. And in exactly the same way, sin, make all the stuff that we do that's less than perfect, it makes us unclean and therefore we can't come into the presence of God. But now, because of Jesus' death and resurrection, it means he has removed the barrier, not just for the Jews, but now for anyone to be accepted by God, to come into his presence and we get to eat bacon. It's truly good news all the way around. But just to drive home the point there, we see, suddenly now see the word all appearing a number of times. Look, verse 36, Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. Verse 38, Jesus healed all who were oppressed by the devil, which included Gentiles and tax collectors and Roman soldiers and prostitutes and, and anything, whoever you are, however you walked in here today, all it's for you. Verse 43, to him all the prophets bear witness that all who believe in him receive forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. Being poured out on the Jews. Now even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, verse 47, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Then look how the next chapter, if you've got your Bible, flick over to chapter 11, start in verse 2. This is how it continues. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, allegedly those who followed Jesus, criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began and explained to them in order. And he tells them about the dream and he tells them about preaching to Cornelius. And then he says, verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? That's what I want to explore today. Who am I that could stand in God's way? You see, we're dreaming of a church where God is glorified and the power of the gospel is magnified. Look at verse 18. When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also, God has granted repentance that leads to life. Jesus is building his church. And he's building his church, not merely of a group of people who all look the same, who sound the same, who come from the same kind of background. He is building and gathering to himself a multicolored, multi ethnic, multi everything. It's the, the church is the ingathering of the elect from every tribe and every tongue. Those whom, verse 43 here says, those who believe in him and receive the forgiveness of sins through his name. If that's you, if you believe in him, if you receive the forgiveness of sins through his name, you're now made alive with Christ, you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you're reconciled back to God and back to one another. This is the church. A multi-ethnic, multi-coloured, multi-cultural thing of beauty. And so for Peter and the others, and actually for us here today too, we have a choice. He's building his church. The choice we have is, am I going to align my life 
with the will of God and the work of God or not. So I've preached on this topic a number of occasions. And by the grace of God, it's an area of church life where we are growing in. We have grown, we are growing, and we continue to grow. When I arrived in this church, when my wife and I arrived in this church, sort of fresh-faced and not yet married and all the rest of it, 12 or so years ago, without any real exaggeration, you could literally count the number of non-white British people on one hand. And then look by the grace of God where we are. Across our venues, one of our venues is, is predominantly not white British. Hallelujah, praise God. He's doing a work in us, but there's still way to go. You see, here's the thing. The more I speak on this issue, the more we, we grow in our, our, our racial diversity, the, the more joy I feel and the more weight I feel. I'm so grateful and so thankful to God, and yet the more a sense of the weight of, I truly believe there's more to come of who we are. And here's what's really important for us to get. We're not actually principally about diversity in this church. Right? We're actually about something much more. Something much bigger. We're about the gospel. We're about the good news of Jesus Christ. And right at the heart of the gospel is this idea of, this picture of, this joy of reconciliation to God, first and foremost. And then because of reconciliation with God, there is now reconciliation with one another. People from different people groups, people from different races reconciled. Not just in the same place at the same time. That's a very different thing. Not just being friendly to one another because it's what you do, but reconcile back to one another, united together, one people. And this matters. A picture of a multicolored, multi ethnic, multicultural church burns in my heart, not because of political correctness. I couldn't care less about political correctness. Just to prove it to you, I would love to swear right now, but that would offend too many different people. I don't care. I couldn't give a stuff about political correctness. This matters because it's right at the heart of God. He is Lord of all. The gospel is for all. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on all. And when churches truly reflect this, God is glorified and the power of the gospel is magnified. So who am I to stand in the way? Here's the thing. The first thing we've got to get hold of is we've got to be really convinced about this and we've got to be really convinced of it biblically and really convinced that it's worth it because it's hard. It's far easier to build church. It's far easier to build your life with people who look just like you, who have the same background, the same heritage, the same culture. Why? Because you get them and they get you and obviously there's all sorts of things that unite you. It's so much easier to do that. It's harder to do it the way the Bible says here. And we need a, a Peter Lightbulb moment. A, I understand. Who am I to stand in God's way? We, we need to be convinced. And we become convinced when we understand that this is where we've come from and this is where we're going to. You see, we become convinced when we understand that God has always been about bringing back us back to himself and us back together. That which sin tears apart, he is in the business of restoring. And you can track the story right through the Old Testament. You see in the Tower of Babel in Genesis 11, one people, one humanity together. Look at us and build this big tower. Look at us all pride and we're amazing. And then God scatters them. And immediately they become multiple languages and multiple people scattered across the face of the earth. But what 
sin tore apart and separated, God's always been in the business of bringing back together. And Genesis 12, he picks Abraham and he says, I will be your God and you will be my people and you will be a blessing to all nations. And we see glimpses right throughout the Old Testament where again, God says through the prophets, you Israel will be a light to the nations. And that only truly happens when Jesus comes, the true Israelite, the true light of the world, the one who comes and shines his light into the darkness, who causes the scales to fall from our eyes and makes a way now for Jew and Gentile to be reconciled back to God. And in doing so, he creates new men and new women from all nations who will carry his spirit to the ends of the earth that's the story of the church and the end of the story is that picture we see in revelation a great multitude that no one can number from every tribe and every tongue and every everything gathered around the throne worshiping and glorifying God and we're in this middle bit see we're carriers of this light we are a sign of the, the coming fulfillment. We're a prophetic statement of what is to come. And we can't do it perfectly, but Ephesians 3.10 says we are the manifold wisdom of God on display. That means we are literally displaying the glory of God and the power of the gospel in how we live. And this is why it matters. Because a multi-racial, multi-coloured, multi-ethnic, multicultural church where people are united and reconciled together is a powerful witness to the world. See, when you have a group of people who have little in common outside of a common love for Jesus Christ and a shared experience of his grace, that speaks to the world and they notice you see, if we carry on reading the book of Acts, what happens next is in that story, the church in Antioch is so racially diverse and so united that people need to get a new name now for what to call them because they've never seen it before. And it's in Antioch that the first time the followers of Jesus are called Christians. They were the followers of the way up until that point, but now so racially diverse and so united, it's like, what do we call these guys? We better call them something. Let's call them Christians. The world notices. And this matters because it's right at the heart of God and his plan. But the other thing we've got to be really clear on is that whilst it matters and it's big, easy to say like that, the reality is it's much harder. Because to be blunt, hostility and racism still exists. And not just out there. If we want to be a church that we dream of, we need to talk about these things. And I think it should, hopefully, go without saying, but I need to say it anyway because sadly it's not, is that racism, whether it's intentional or whether it's casual or whether it's personal or whether it's systemic, it's a sin, full stop. And like every other sin, it's first and foremost, before it's a sin against anyone else, it's a sin against God. And sometimes sin doesn't, affect, doesn't appear to affect other people. That's not actually true. There's no such sin that doesn't affect other people. There's no such personal, private sin that doesn't have a consequence on anyone else. But some sins obviously have more of an effect on other people than others. And this is one of them. And we need to front it up and call it out. And we've got to recognize that talking about race is not only a sensitive issue, it's a complex one. It's not straightforward. It's all wrapped up in, with all sorts of historical and political issues, all sorts of emotional legacies, all sorts of stuff going on. And we make a mistake, particularly if you look like me. We make a mistake if we think that issues to do with race are a thing of the past and that the world is a level playing field now. Because it's not. And lots of you in this room know that. 
And lots of us in this room need to be reminded of that. See, the sin of racism in this country runs deeply. Racial inequality in the UK is real. And it runs very deep. Just turn the news on right now. I've never had to deal with people who assume things about me the moment I walk into the room simply because of the color of my skin. And I'm not having to teach my children how to handle that either because they'll never know that. A couple of weeks ago, it marked 50 years since the death of Martin Luther King Jr. And a lot has changed since then, praise God. And the UK is very, very different from the US. But many issues remain. Just a few weeks ago, I was traveling with some dear friends of ours. There was a group of us, and we'd gone to Brussels, and we were coming back from Brussels, and get off the train. And I'd been ill that weekend, and I looked I look rough as. I mean, I know I don't look good at the best of times, but <laughs> like I had my hood up. I was unshaven for like three days. I was walking through, carrying my stuff. I didn't even look at the customs people. And where everyone's just walking through. You know that bit where you have to go through, you got anything to declare, they check your bags. There was one black man traveling with us in our group. Guess which person got stopped? Some of you know, because it's an experience every day for you, or certainly more than it is an experience for me. And I literally looked and said, which one of us looks more like the drug dealer, him or me? (laughs) Like, just to be clear with you, it was Dio I was traveling with, right? Like, definitely, I know he looks more like a drug dealer than me, but on a normal day. But this was a particular weekend. I'm like, whoa. whoa." And I just looked at him and he said, you get used to it. No. No. Now, of course, it might be a purely anecdotal story of which lots of you in the room say, I've never experienced, but I imagine it's probably not for lots of people here. And we've got to be honest about that. Talking about race can be a motive. I am well aware of my whiteness as I talk about this. But I take God at his word, and I want to build a church that we see in the pages of Scripture. And it says in his word, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. So with bucket loads of grace, let's, let's talk about race. That wasn't intended. <laughs> let's look at Peter, who goes from racist to gracist. I'm on a roll. <laughs> I'll stop now, I promise. He goes from, I'll not have anything to do with people who are not like me to the spirit of God awakening his heart to these are my brothers and sisters and I'll lead with them. That's a huge journey. You see, when they respond to God and they make moves, God, they make moves, God gets glorified, lives gets transformed, the church gets built and the gospel advances. We've made some great strides in this area. Brothers and sisters, I'm just saying here today, We've got to celebrate that, but it's time to make some more. You see, our goal is not just the elimination of racism. It's a demonstration of the power and the beauty of the gospel. How do you get rid of racism? Well, our Western secular world says you educate people and then you tell them off if they don't do how they're supposed to. And here's the thing, it does not work. And the reason why it doesn't work to tell people don't be racist is because, well, most of us think we're not racist. Immediately we go, well, I'm I'm all right. It's not me. I'm not racist. Um, So this doesn't count me. And the reality is, like, there is a casual propensity in every single one of our hearts towards it. We'll look at that in a moment. But telling people not to be racist doesn't work because the problem is much deeper. It's an issue of the heart. And the problem, actually, is that it's an issue of identity. 
And the power of the gospel is not just that it removes our sins, but it, that it gives us a completely new identity. See, Paul in Ephesians 2, if you've got a Bible, just flick there real quick. He gets right to the heart of this. Verse 13 of chapter 2. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility." You see, Paul uses, in this case, Jews and Gentiles as a case study, a specific example of a universal truth. When there are people from different backgrounds there are, come together, there are walls of hostility, there are barriers that divide us. And we might not like the word hostility, and we might think it's way too strong. And the vast majority of us would never intentionally use overtly racist language or, or condone explicit racism of any kind, I'm sure. And yet, if we are honest... If we scratch between beneath the surface, most of us, most of the time, what we do is retreat to the merely personal. Racial tensions are still there, they're just in way more subtle forms. We can be and we are very, very polite and very, very friendly to each other. But when it comes to developing deep friendships, we tend to retreat back to our comfort zones and stick with people who are similar to us. Not everyone, but we have that bias in our hearts to do that. And we might not like the word hostility, but we can't deny what the Bible is saying here. What basically the Bible is saying is that when God gives us good gifts, and he gives us talents, and he gives us strength, there's something in the human heart that takes these very good things and elevates them to an absolute value, and then looks at everybody else who doesn't have them and say, you're not as good as me. And that good gift becomes the basis for our hostility. And this is particularly true, not just between individuals, but between groups of people, between races and cultures and, and classes of people, however we might seek to divide people. See, the way we get an identity, the way we define ourselves, the way we get our self-worth is by taking what's good about us, what's distinct about us, by lifting it up, by elevating it, and then looking at everyone else and judging them, especially those who don't have it, and saying, oh, you're not as good as them, us. We're not like you. You're not like us. In other words, we get our identity by looking down on other people, by excluding other people. We take that which is good of us and go, yeah, this is what makes us, oh, you haven't got it, you're not as good. And the perfect spot in the Bible that expresses it is the prayer of the Pharisee in Luke 18, verse 11. When the Pharisee lifts his eyes to heaven and begins to pray, his first sentence is literally, Lord, I thank you I'm not like these other people. Now, most of us are not as explicit as that, but we're exactly the same today, really, in our hearts. So we can easily fall into the trap of thinking that we're better than other people. Now, none of us would ever say that with our mouths. Like, literally, none of us would ever say that with our mouths. But we think it in our hearts, and we live it with our lives. Think for a moment, for an example, about how different cultures view different things. Like, some cultures are kind of people-orientated, and other cultures, well, they're more like time-orientated. And so what happens if you come from one particular culture is you basically look down and make judgments in your hearts on people who are from a different culture. So you end up saying, well, these guys are always late. Why are they always late? These guys are so uptight. Why are they always so uptight? And basically what you do is go, my culture, we're right. 
Timekeeping's right. In my culture, we're right. Being friendly to people is right. These guys, they're different from us. We're better than them. And we'd never say that. But it's kind of what we mean when we start labeling people. And we, start, and we can do it over lots of different things. And sometimes it's quite funny. More often, it's actually not. That's how it works. There's hostility. There's barriers between us. But these verses also give us the solution. You see, Jesus is the solution. He has reconciled us and he has killed the hostility by creating in himself one, verse 15, one new man in place of the two. You see, before Jesus, the earth was divided between Jews and Gentiles, everyone else. And after Jesus' resurrection, a third ethnicity is now supernaturally born, the multicolored, multi-ethnic church, those who are now in Christ. You see, that's what the gospel does. It doesn't just save us, it transforms us. It reconciles those who are once enemies. It makes us one in Christ because it gives us a completely new identity. You, now you're a Christian, are not just a slightly better version of what you once were. You are now completely new. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. You're not just a better version now, or a version who doesn't swear so much now, or a version who doesn't sin so much now, or a version who used to do this, but now you do that. No, you're a completely new creation. The old has completely gone, and what has been replaced is something completely new. Now, of course, you've got the same physical body, and there's many of the same preferences you have, but fundamentally, you have changed. That's the power of the gospel. And that means now my primary identity is in Christ. I am not a white British Christian. I'm a Christian who happens to be white, born in Belfast. If you're a black here today or whatever, you are, that is not your principal primary identity. If you're from a different nation today, that is not your principal primary identity. You are in Christ who happens to be of this culture, this race, this country, this creed, whatever. And that's what unites us. Our primary identity is now in Christ. I'm completely new creation. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's what's really important to understand this. We, in that moment, we don't lose our cultural heritage. We don't lose our ethnicity. It doesn't become unimportant, but it is no longer our primary identity. So I'm a white guy. I don't need to apologize for that. I don't need to feel guilty for it. God made me who I am, but it's not my identity. My identity is now in Christ, and that changes everything. A couple of years ago, I was in Kenya with Colin, and we were in a slum in Nairobi. As a church, we sponsor about 100 kids in, the, in, in Maturi slum. And as we're walking through this slum, I've never been felt more uncomfortable. I've never felt more out of place. I've never felt more aware of my whiteness or my westernness or my richness than I did walking through those slums. And yet the moment I walked through the door of the shack of the family that I was visiting... I have never felt more normal, more at home than I did just then. Why was that? Because those people like me had been made alive in Christ. Once they were, we were alienated from God, but now we are no longer alienated from him. We're united with him but no, and also no longer alienated from one another. We are united with him because of the, each other because of the cross and resurrection of Jesus. This supernaturally, this third ethnicity has now been formed in which we take part. And so now this is a statement and a half. I now have more in common with a slum-dwelling single mother who was raped with no education 
and no material possessions to speak of than I do with my non-Christian next door neighbor where I live here. Why? Because she and I are part of the blood-bought people of God. We are literal, literal, not some, oh, isn't that a nice little phrase to say? We are literal brother and sister in Christ. And if you're a Christian here today, so are you and so are we. And I'm really sorry, but that means you've got me as your brother. Tough call. Thank you. (laughs) Here's what's important. This does not mean we're all the same. We're not trying to create a monoculture here where we diminish our differences. We're not trying to say, hey, we're in Christ, so we're all the same. Christians have been particularly weak, in my opinion, my humble opinion. But I think so often our theology is so very lightweight when it comes to this issue. We say Genesis 1.27, God made us all in the image of God. Yeah, he did. And we say Galatians 3.28, there's neither male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We're all one in Christ. Therefore, we're all the same. Well, yes and no. Yes, we're all the same in terms of worth and value. And yes, we're all the same in the sense of salvation. The world is divided, divided between those who are in Christ and those who are not. You're either a Christian or you're not. And in that sense, we're all the same in salvation. It doesn't matter what our background is or our heritage or all that kind of stuff. But that's not the full picture. You see, that when you speak in those kind of terms, it's like viewing kind of life or like viewing your TV in kind of old-fashioned standard definition. Where we're meant to be living in the, in the stunning 4K HD version. That's what life is. And when you watch life and when you watch TV in that stunning kind of quality, you're like, oh my goodness, this looks amazing. And when you view life in that quality, you notice the difference. God is not colorblind. God created the differences. He sees the differences and he loves the differences and we should too. We have a tendency to say, well, we're all the same. We're all the same. We're all the same. No, we're not. And that's okay. See, we need to recognize that God is glorified through a beautiful tapestry of cultures. He's so stunning and so worthy and so magnificent, he actually needs all the languages and all the people groups to give him praise because that gives a fuller picture of who he is. In Revelation 5, it says that the beauties of every culture are, are, are kind of represented around God's throne. In, in Revelation 21, it says that he brings the wealth and the honor and the glory of the nations to his throne. What's that mean? It means all the best of our cultures, all without in their perfect state, all find themselves in the new heavens and the new earth. We don't suddenly get there and it's all kind of grey or all mushed together. He's not some kind of vanilla God of just one flavor. He's like the multitude of every single possible flavor there is we'll one day gather around the throne with him and we're not there yet, but by God's grace, we're getting closer and one day we will be. So right now, we're supposed to be a picture of that. We're not colorblind. We're blessed by the glorious multicolored nature of the church. This is what life in HD is supposed to look like. And we've got a lot to learn on it. A friend of mine used to lead youth in a church not so far from here. We used to lead youth events together. And several years ago, this was a huge moment in my life and in understanding theologically and how this works out. Just a real quick, casual conversation. I said to him once, I don't see you as black, I just see you as you. And he looked at me and said, what on earth are you talking about? Like, I'm black, you're white, get over it. I see you as white. You should see me as black because that's what we are. We're different and that's okay. We don't need to pretend to be the same. And apart from feeling like a bit stupid and embarrassed, 
I kind of learned a valuable lesson that day. Our differences are real and they're important. And if we don't acknowledge this, we end up doing one of two things. Either we end up stereotyping people because of their name or their color or their accent or their education. The propensity to casual racism in my heart was probably, no, not probably, was exposed that day with my friend. I didn't intend to say this, but what I was kind of saying was reinforcing negative racial stereotypes about people not like me by saying to my friend, you're not like them. If we don't recognize the differences, we run the risk of stereotyping people. Or second thing is we, we oversimplify things by saying we're all the same when we're clearly not. Again, with my friend that day, I was minimizing the God-given differences between us rather than celebrating them. God sees our differences. He's not blind to the differences. He planned it and he created a world full of variety and diversity. And he sees, he acknowledges, he embraces and he celebrates it. The new heavens and the new earth, they're not going to be gray. They're going to be multicolored. And we want to see that in ever-increasing ways here. So what moves do we need to make, just quick, real quick, to not stand in God's way? I think part of it is just having the conversation. There's no trite, quick, easy answers to this. This is what we do. Three steps and we're all fine. No, part of it is just saying, oh, our cards on the table. This is, this is what we are. This is what we're about. And we're going to get some things wrong and that's okay. The first thing I think, if, just to, because people like points, the first thing I think is we've got to see this. We've got to recognize that he is Lord of all, and he's building his church. He's invited us in. This is so important to get. He has invited us in. We were once outsiders, every single one of us. Unless you, sitting in this room right now, unless you're an ethnic Jew, you are the foreigner who's been invited in. We so often kind of have this thing of, yeah, we want people who are different from us inviting us in. I'm in, and it's great to have other people who are in. No, 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 no. You've never been in until Jesus made a way. Unless you're an ethnic Jew, you are one of the foreigners. You are one of the outsiders. That's a level playing field right there because I don't know. I mean, come and introduce yourself at the end. I don't know if we've got any ethnic Jews in the room, which means we're all the foreigners. We're all the outsiders. And so our posture needs to change. To not, yes, we need to let other people in, but recognize, no, 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 we are the other people. Wow, this changes everything. I'm not, I'm not a white person saying, hey, black people, you're welcome. Come into my church. Or I'm a British person. Hey, foreign people, come into my church. No, 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 no. It's together. You as a fellow outsider, you and I as a fellow foreigner, you and I as a fellow stranger and alien, excluded from the promises of God. That is who we were, both of us together. Now, it's because of Jesus and what he's done on the cross, you and I are now united in Christ. And when you've invited in and we both have a part to play, whatever our background, the cross is the great equalizer. And we're all humbled as we grasp the magnitude of our sin and our guilt. Yet at the cross, the offer of forgiveness is made without distinction because Jesus is Lord of all. The gospel is available to all. The Holy Spirit is poured out on all. And we all both equally need it and all both equally benefit from it. So each of us, first thing, recognize Jesus is Lord. He's building his church. Second thing is each of us needs to have a posture of humility. See, the gospel destroys the comparison tools we use when we think we're better than someone else. That's what racism is, or any kind of, it's like, I think I'm better than you. I'd never admit it, but I think I am. No, no, the gospel <laughs> destroys that comparison tool. I can't look down on anyone because I am no better or worse than anyone else. 
We all stand equally before God. We all stand equally sinful before God. And yet we all stand as equal, incredible recipients of this amazing, staggering, outrageous grace when we ask for it. We all stand equal in the eyes of God. And this is important to get. But our experiences of the world are very different. And because we're shaped by our experiences far more than anything else, third thing we need to do is we need to be those people who listen and learn from one another. Who listen and learn from one another. We've got to learn from the word, of course. We've got to learn from the Holy Spirit. He's the one who leads us into all of this. But we've got to listen to one another's stories. Learn to walk a mile in each other's shoes. Learn to understand and fully... How, how does that... Wow, tell me your story. When we do that, it might lead to the fourth thing, which is repentance, forgiveness, and sometimes perseverance. When we listen, and when we learn, and when we walk, it leads us to a posture of humility that leads us to a posture of forgive me where I've not spoken. Forgive me where I have. Forgive me where I've tried and got this wrong. Forgive me where I've just gone, what's the matter with you? Get over it. Forgive me, etc., etc. And that posture of, of repentance and forgiveness and humility leads us to a place where we give one another the benefit of the doubt. You see, we need humility and we need patience because we're going to say dumb things to each other. We're going to get things wrong. I most probably have gotten something wrong in this so far. But we're family. And in your family, think back to it, how many times did someone in your family say something really, really dumb? And depending whether you were the big brother or the big sister or the little one, depended whether you got to give the clip around the ear or you received it. At no point did you walk away from the family. You said something stupid. I'm offended. Never talking to you again. No, no, no. We go. You're an idiot, but you're my idiot, and I love you. And I forgive you. Brothers and sisters, I'm an idiot, but I'm your idiot. (laughs) And this is where it ultimately leads to... I've lost track of the numbers. It should all definitely result in building relationships with people who are not like us being really intentional, pursuing it. I've grown most in the gospel when I've hung out with people who are not like me. It's difficult at times. It's hard work at times, but it's so worth it. I'm currently on a journey at the moment of trying to increase my, I don't know how to describe this, if this is the wrong language, forgive me, increase my ethnic IQ. I'm reading a whole bunch of stuff about what it is to, there's some great books out there, not Christian stuff. I'm reading somewhere, I just want to put myself in a shit and understand something of the historical, emotional legacies of what it is to be black and British or living in this culture. And I'm being undone as I read the stories. And I'm dreaming more and more. What is the answer? It's the power of the gospel. It's the church, the multicolored, multi-ethnic, multi-everything, beauty of the church. You see, we can often be fearful of stepping outside our comfort zones. We're often afraid of saying the wrong thing or being thought of as ignorant or worse, like racist. It's easier not to. 
We can be feared of judge, being judged by other people or having our motives misunderstood. Brothers and sisters, the gospel is bigger than all of this. And it's that which holds us together, nothing else. And it's that which unites us, nothing else. And we all have cultural blind spots. All of us have them. We can spot things in other people's cultures and say, I think that might be an issue in your culture. But you can only do that when you're up close enough with somebody from a different culture to know them in an intimate relationship in such a way that you can actually build a relationship that says, I'm saying this to you as a brother, not because I think I'm better than you, but I know that equally we're not better than one another, but I want you to speak into my life and I'm going to speak into yours. And that only happens not by looking at the back of someone's head on a Sunday, but in real life throughout the week. It manifests itself in different ways within our leadership. Like, we've got a way to go, guys. Just being truthful, right? We've got a way to go. Like, no. I was just about to make a joke, which was really funny in my head, but the Holy Spirit said, don't do it. <laughs> so you just got to trust me, I'm hilarious. <laughs> just sinful. <laughs> just on this leadership issue, In many cultures, there's a high value on submission to authority. And that's excellent. That's God-honoring. It's wonderful. It's really great. But the flip side of that is there's not so much a proactive step. There's a, I'm going to wait and to be asked. I'm asking you right now. You know there's a call of God on your life, particularly if you are from a different nation, a different race, a different people group, in all humility, I'm saying, let's start a conversation. Because I don't want to stand here in another couple of years and say, we're all still exactly where we are right now. We're just a bit friendlier to one another. We've got some moves to make. We've got some steps to move, to go forward. We've got some things where we need to brunch through on. By the grace of God, we are growing in this and we're going to grow some more because the best is yet to come. I just want to finish by honouring those of you who have laid down your personal preferences and pioneered the way in this area. And that ain't me. And if you're white, it's probably not you either. So those of you who stepped outside of cultural preferences to come to church here and say, we'll jump some hurdles. We like some of the stuff here. We think these guys are onto something. We'll, we'll make some sacrifices to play our part. I just, from the bottom of my heart, want to say thank you. I want to say thank you. I want to honor you. Listen, and to those of you who are, who are white and struggling with this because it's just a kind of paradigm shift of what? I want to say I honor you as well. Let's go on a journey together. Let's learn. Let's have a posture of humility. Let's, united around the cross, dream together of what might be. Because one day we'll know it in its fullness. Right now we can know it in part. It's time to move. It's time to really pursue this. We need to persevere. We will get some things wrong. We will make some mistakes. It will probably be really cringeworthy at times. Do you know what? That's okay because Jesus is building his church. We're not. And he's very good at it and we're not. Let's pray. And then we're going to have communion together. Kind of the back end of this whole thing just turned into a kind of jumble of my heart. I hope it landed in some way. Holy Spirit, I just want to, I just want to pray right now that this picture 
of a church united, triumphant, glorious would burn in our hearts. That the power of the gospel would be magnified in this place. That the glory of God would be demonstrated and shown in this place. That our hearts would be knit together and united. Not just so that we can kind of put on a show, but so we can make a demonstration and a declaration to a watching world that there is a way, that where there are barriers and hostility, they can be and they will be torn down because they have been by the gospel. And there's a new and better way in Jesus Christ.